I have always been someone who didn't speak up and who is very quiet. Our nervous systems communicate to each other and one regulated nervous system can support a thousand other nervous systems. But so often we've developed all these protectors to like help us belong to what the community we're a part of deems as acceptable. <laughs> so we, we end up self-abandoning. We end up suppressing parts of ourselves. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here, for tuning in, for listening. If you're new here, hello. My name is Jess. I'm the creator and host of this podcast. I've been doing it for, we're kind of approaching the three-year mark now, which is kind of nuts, but I'm the creator of this show. I am a career coach for women in the nine-to-five space, and today's episode is so good. It's so helpful. It's also very calming and just a very, like, truly a breath of fresh air. You're going to hear a lot of topics in this conversation, one of which is the stress response cycle and the physiological experience of feeling stress, which I think will be so helpful because I think just normal day-to-day having a nine-to-five, especially if you're very ambitious and you care about it and it's really important to you, that can come with a lot of stress. And it is so powerful to be aware of what you're experiencing, to have some tools to help you navigate stressful experiences. So you're going to get a lot of that in this conversation. And today's guest, Rochelle, who is an absolutely like excellent, like truly excellent coach for women. She coaches using a modality. One of her modalities is called parts work. And the second half of this interview kind of pivots from the topic of like stress and managing stress into confidence and our own inner experiences and parts work, which is a tool that she will talk about with, you know, much more precision. But it is such a helpful way (laughs) to understand your inner experience. Like, I laugh because I think about times in my life and also, you know, what we all experience where we are feeling lots of feelings and we're having a struggle or things are hard and there's a complexity to it. It's like we can't even fully articulate why things feel so hard or why we feel bad or why we feel stuck because there's so much going on that we almost don't understand our own struggle. And so much of what Rochelle is speaking about is like this process of going deeper into your own experience to understand it better. And this is such a powerful thing because it not only helps you navigate difficult things, but when you think about your professional journey and you think about you becoming a leader and that process of becoming a leader, the more scope you have, the more responsibility you have, the more visibility you have, 
the more you need to have a robust toolkit to be able to understand and manage and navigate your own inner experiences. It's sort of like the way that you can think about this, and this applies both to the stress component of this interview and like the parts work slash inner experience and emotions component. The way that you can think about this is like when you're earlier on in your career, you're, if you are, I always use the analogy of the stage, right? Like meetings are a stage. You're on like a stage with a really small theater when you're early on in your career. And as you progress in your career, the stage gets bigger, the theater gets bigger. It's a bigger, more intense experience. And it requires you to have a more sophisticated set of tools to like be able to get on that stage and like manage through that experience, right? So that it's not so big and overwhelming. And today's interview is going to help you with that so, so much. I am so excited for you to meet Rochelle. Before I dive into the interview, come join me this week in the Facebook group. It is a lot of fun in there. I am in there twice a week doing free trainings, a lot on mindset and confidence and tools for you to make a really strong impression in a meeting room, tools for you to take control of your career trajectory. So hop in there. You can hang out with me and best of all, meet other women who listen to the show. I will link that below, or you can find it by going to Facebook and just searching The Art of Speaking Up. And with that, it is time for the interview. I'm so excited for you to meet Rochelle. So let's jump in, and I hope you enjoy. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Um, My name is Rochelle, and I'm a somatic coach and mind-body therapy practitioner, not a therapist, practitioner. (laughs) And my work, the work that I do is um, supporting women who struggle with their relationship to food and body. So whether that's binge eating or that chronic diet binge cycle, compulsive exercising, And what got me into that was my own journey, healing from eating disorders. And yeah, there's probably so much I could say about that, but I'll leave it there for now. (laughs) Can you give us like a sneak peek or preview on how emotions and just like the human experience of like feeling emotions and being stressed and all of that plays into some of the work that you do? Yeah, so a big piece of the work that I do revolves around how we have developed strategies to support ourselves in dealing with and coping with big internal experiences. So in my journey along the way, what I started to discover was that I didn't really know how to self-regulate. And so my eating disorders were a form of regulation. They were something called auto-regulation. And so many of us you know, if we don't get the co-regulation that we need as as infants, and that doesn't mean that our parents didn't love us. Our parents can love us, but be misattuned. And then we we don't necessarily get the support we need. And then also like at school and, and things like that, where we then have to develop ways to deal with our big inner experiences. And so in my work, that often looks like the behaviors of food and exercise. And also I have seen with body image, like a lot of people will kind of turn towards projecting onto the body because the body is something we can control, whereas our inner experience we can't. And it gives us like a sense, a false sense of safety and certainty. 
And can you define for us self-regulation and co-regulation? Yeah, yeah. So this has to do with the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system. And when we experience arousal or activation in our nervous system, all emotions tend to create some form of activation or arousal in our nervous system. So it, it depends a lot on our window of tolerance as well. So most of the time we can feel these experiences and we're okay. But that's why I say big inner experiences when they are really big, they can get to the edges of our window of tolerance, which is just like our capacity to remain present with what we're experiencing and to be able to move through it. Um, when we get to the edges or we move outside of that, we can become more dysregulated and we can then move into um, states of of hyper arousal or hypo arousal. Hyper arousal is more associated with like those anxious type of feelings and the overthinking and more of like a, a fight or flight response. Whereas hypo arousal is associated more with a bit of like shutting down, numbing out, dissociating. And this all happens on a continuum for people. Self-regulation is the ability to be able to ride the wave of that arousal and that activation and then support ourselves in understanding what we need to to come back down and complete that response. Co-regulation happens between two nervous systems or more. Um, and when we're infants, we don't have the ability to, to self-regulate. We learn that through the co-regulation that we get from our caregivers. And we are wired as, as human animals to, um, when, when we're experiencing a threat in our body, to first reach out to other humans. And when that doesn't work, or that's not available, then we have to find another way to deal with it. And so we develop these little defenses and these little strategies that help us deal with the activation and the arousal in our system. Some of those kind of can pull up. And I never want to create a hierarchy on that um, because it's, it's really actually brilliant that we have the ability to find ways. Like, I don't demonize emotional eating. It's brilliant that we have, we have the ability to find ways to support us, to deal with things and to move through them. But some of the behaviors create more disconnection with ourselves than connection. And so we can just start to learn, you know, which ways we might be able to turn towards that create more connection. So when it comes to self-regulation, you know, that might look like, and we, we need the capacity and the ability, the self-awareness to notice when activation is happening to then reach out to someone to co-regulate or to turn inwards and see what we might need in that moment. The thing that that made me think of what you were saying is how I think so often people are thinking that being a strong, confident leader means like, I don't feel anything and I have a really thick skin. And I think it's speaking to something so important, which is like, no, that is not the goal. It is not the goal to not feel anything and never feel bad. But to what you're sharing, to find a way to meet yourself where you're at and be able to weather those things rather than thinking there's something wrong with you because you feel bad or you're going through a wave that feels like really awful. Yeah, absolutely. We can either 
tend towards avoidance of something and rejecting it and pushing it away, or we can tend towards this place of really staying stuck in it and looping in it. And neither of those allow for flow. We, we get stuck in that. And so really, like we're speaking to our resiliency to kind of move through the contractions and the expansions of our experience. And there's, there's so much that happens too, just from a physiological and like biological <laughs> level. And, and we all have heard like stress is not stress is, is like chronic stress and, and all of that impacts our health in so many ways. And when we're suppressing our emotions and not allowing for them to mobilize and move through, we're contributing to the experience of stress in our body. Yeah. And on that note, I wanted to ask you about that because, I mean, stress is always a thing, but I think especially this year, the way, the lifestyle that so many people have been forced to adopt is you like wake up and then for people who have kids, it's like kid stuff and then getting their kids through the day, getting themselves through the day. There's not like that buffer of going from like workplace back to home. So it feels constant. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to get your thoughts overall on stress, like what is happening in our body. And we can start there and just start digging into it layer by layer. Yeah. Yeah. So, and as you were saying that, I even caught myself um, the way I use the word stress. I'm trying to be mindful of that because just in the way that we define the term stress, it contributes to how we experience it. Because stress in and of itself is not a bad thing. Like we have eustress, which is something um, that actually makes us stronger. But then there's distress, which is like the chronic stuff, or um, we'll get we'll get into this, but like not completing our stress response cycle. And so there's two systems in our body that are activated when we're experiencing a stressor. One is the glandular system, so our um, HPA axis, which is the hypothalamus and pituitary in the brain, they signal to the adrenal glands to secrete hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. But then we also have the sympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system, so that like fight-flight response. That part of our nervous system gets activated as well, and it does a whole bunch of things to prepare our body for whatever this perceived, this imagined or real stressor is, because we can even just think of something and create a response in our body. So what happens is we experience an activation. And this is the first part of the stress response cycle. And where stress becomes an issue is when it's chronic, but also, like I mentioned, when we don't complete this stress response cycle. So there's activation and then mobilization and then deactivation and then restoration. So what often happens is we either get stuck in the activation and mobilizing. We activate, mobilize, activate, mobilize, and we never allow the system to come back down and restore. Or we put a cap on activation. We suppress that. And that, that can have to do with so many things. That can just be a conditioning. That can be our capacity. It can be based on like the environment we're in if we don't feel it's appropriate to <laughs> um, allow the activation to, to um, show itself. But yeah, when we don't complete that cycle, that's where we also experience 
issues with chronic stress, like decreased immunity and digestive issues and um, problems with sleep and things like that. And so often when we are looking at stress, we look at the narrative and what the stressor is. But the way I work is I help clients kind of unpack the stressor from the stress response. And instead of going into the narrative, we look at with the stress response, what is the sensation? What's the feeling that's happening? And then what is the behavioral response? Because that's often where if we're suppressing the activation, we're then turning to something like food or smoking or social media or whatever it is that we use. And instead, when we work with the feeling and the experience, we will then start to be able to sense the actual response that our body wants, and that is where we mobilize it. So how that wants to move. So I'll give you an example, because this might not make sense right now. I was out running with my dog in the forest, and there was this other big dog that was off leash that was coming towards us around this corner, and I couldn't see the owner. And this big dog kind of started to attack my my dog, who's a mid-sized dog. And at one point, my dog ended up on her back, and this big dog was on top of my dog. And I, I couldn't react. I felt this impulse to kick this dog, but I couldn't. I think I partially froze, but also it just didn't seem socially acceptable to kick a dog. <laughs> and and so I just yelled at it to get off my dog. The owner came by shortly and got her dog and we went on our way. And I was realizing in that moment, I started to run again, but then I realized, oh, I'm really activated. Like that activated my, that was a stress response in my body. And so I stopped and I was walking and I was getting curious about what is the impulse here? And I could still feel that impulse to kick. And so I went over to a tree and I just allowed myself to follow that impulse to kick, to allow that stress response to mobilize so I wasn't suppressing it. And then after it felt complete, and and I'm doing this by like feeling in my body and noticing the sensations. And so once it felt like that charge moved through the kick, I was then able to like pause and I walked the rest of the way because that was really helpful in helping me deactivate and then being just being out in nature is really restorative to me. But that can look so many different ways. That's just one example. My teacher used the example of like when we're walking down the street and we trip and we, you know, that activation you feel in your body and you catch yourself. Yeah. So most of us will like push that down and like, make sure nobody saw that we tripped. We'll, we'll, we'll be a little bit like embarrassed about it, right? Rather than like staying with the sensation, noticing what the impulse is. And the impulse is how the activation wants to mobilize. And that can look so many different ways. That could be like pushing against a wall. That could be screaming. That could be doing some shaking. It can look so many different ways. It could be squeezing your hands, But we can only tell that when we're working with the sensation in the body. And so it's a little bit different than just looking at, okay, what is the stress? Because we're often taught to try to remove all the stressors in our life, but like, that's not actually possible. And that's not making us resilient either. And so what if instead we learn how to complete this stress response cycle? which actually helps us grow our window of capacity. When, when we thwart that response, when we suppress that response, that contributes over time to shrinking our capacity to be with these big internal experiences as well. 
And also, I feel like so much of the conversation on stress or self-care to manage stress doesn't actually support like the stress response and how it impacts our physiology, right? Like going for a manicure doesn't help us complete the stress response. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so fascinated by the example you shared. And that example really helped it click for me because it's almost like the body is speaking, but it's not speaking always in words, right? So you have to listen to what it's saying to you. And I feel like we have, as a culture, we have no practice doing what that, like what you described. Yeah. And it's, it's wild. I was in a training the other weekend and I think the number was that we actually have seven times the interoceptors, which is like our ability to experience our interiority seven times to external sensors. And so to me, that kind of tells us like we're meant to experience life from the inside out, but we're just so conditioned away from it. Whoa. Yeah. Do you feel like through doing that work and getting better at seeing what your body needs, have you also become just more in touch with your body and like more comfortable and flowing in your body? Yeah. And it's a practice. Like it's, I'm not every day, right? (laughs) And so that's what I always tell people. I'm like, this isn't a destination. Like we live in a world that is, it's so easy at pulling us outside of ourselves. And even with body image, like when we're struggling with body image, that's a cue that our relationship with our body in that moment is more outside in than inside out. And so it's just a cue to come back internally and see how we can cultivate more of that relationship internally. But I definitely have seen how over time, and it's like this slow, subtle practice, because when we don't use and we don't feel internally, it's like our interoception kind of goes offline. And the neural pathways for internalception get pruned. And so we have to regrow those pathways. And another one of my teachers, uh, so I've heard numbers from 300 to 2000 times for repetition to build new neural pathways. Like we have to repeat a practice that many times to build the new neural pathways to to really start to like anchor into interoception. So it's a practice. It seems worth it for many reasons. But one reason that's coming to mind is I also feel like there's something to be said about being able to feel that stable feeling, you know, where like, lots of things can be happening around you. But instead of getting like whipped around, you can kind of just come back in. And even if it still feels hard, it feels like you have options, right? Like I can come inside right now. And I think that's so important. Yes, that is huge. And that has been a big part of my own journey as well. Um, Because I for the longest time, I didn't have a really strong sense of self. And I would just like, blend into the environment that I was in. But the more that I've cultivated my inner experience of my body and that connection, there is like this deeper anchor that is there that is easier to come back to that stabilizes instead of in the past. And don't get me wrong, I still do this at times. I will look externally for things to stabilize me. I will look externally for something to feel certain. And that's when I start like maybe controlling my partner or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) starting an exercise program. And it's like, oh, this is actually coming from a disconnect with my body. I'm so fascinated by this too, because I also think 
you know, when people are advancing in their careers, like a lot of it is like your nervous system needs to have the capacity to like hold that greater responsibility because it just becomes more, more responsibility, more team, more just like it gets bigger. And it's never, no one ever talks about that and that you need to, I mean, you don't need to cultivate that, but if you do, the experience is going to be way more manageable. Yeah, this is so... I think this is so important, even just for me being in this like coaching industry, you know, there's a lot of coaches that grow really fast and they like expand upwards, but they have no solid base. It's the same thing. It's like, I think it's so important if we want to really like build a strong foundation for our, and like, that's like our capacity. It takes time. And we're in a culture where it's like, we want everything right now and it's so fast and there's like this this loss around like the slow cultivation of wisdom and and just like being in that process and that was a big shift for me like a couple of years ago where I was like oh I see that I'm in this other thing and this doesn't feel good I can actually go in this other direction of just like settling into this process because nervous system working with our nervous system is subtle and it's slow work it's not quick and flashy. (laughs) Well, that also reminds me of like the confidence building journey, right? Because I think like in the fantasy world, like we, you know, someone said like, oh, what's the, what's your formula? I was like, if someone tells you they have a formula, like (laughs) run in the other direction. (laughs) But the fascinating thing in my experience is like, it's those tiny little grains of sand. And then all of a sudden, one day you have a cup filled with sand, but it seemed like not that long ago, you were just putting in one grain at a time. Mm -hmm. Like, am I making progress? Am I getting more confident? Am I getting stronger? And it's like, you are, you just can't see it yet. (laughs) Yes, that's such a good analogy. I mean, I also think sometimes when, when we're in a rush, we are compensating for something or there's something else going on, right? Like either we don't believe it's possible to change or we're trying to prove something. And I think like, I call it turtle wisdom, <laughs> like the turtles, like we are the ones who are so badass and so strong because we need time and we are taking our time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And that is such a good point. And this makes me think of parts work and how we can be yeah we can be like moving forward in this place of like I'm going for it but we're actually kind of maybe coming from a part of us that is rooted in fear and feels like they need to belong and so they need to do this thing there can be so many so many things going on there. Oh, okay. I'm excited. So let's go into parts work Mm -hmm. um, because I think this is going to be so interesting. What is it? Let's start there. Yeah. So my training is both a blend of something called internal family systems, as well as inner relationship focusing. And they're both different, but essentially as far as like IFS, The premise is that our psyche is made up of different parts and we have parts that are protectors. And those are the parts that um, they, they use strategies to kind of protect us from experiencing discomfort, which is like 
the emotions most often. <laughs> and so the protectors tend to be the parts that like turn towards binge eating or turn towards smoking or those kind of different strategies, right? A big protector that a lot of people might know about is the inner critic. So just to put it in reference, because most people know about inner child, inner critic, but parts work is like so much more than that. But the inner critic is like a type of protector with exiles that's often known as the inner child um it's like the the they're often younger parts of us who they have a big inner experience and so they get exiled by our protectors because they don't feel like they are safe or acceptable for so many reasons we also have healthy parts so parts that can help help us but our core, the core of who we are is known as the self, capital S, self. And what often happens is like self is supposed to be the, the part of us that sits in the seat of consciousness. It's the natural inhabitant to the seat of consciousness. But what can happen is our other parts can take over. We can get blended with a protector part and that takes over in the seat of consciousness. Or we can get blended with an exile. And that takes over. And so really what we're doing with parts work is we're getting into a relationship with these parts of us and we are changing our relationship to them so that over time self can be in the seat of consciousness more. And from that place, we can work with the protectors to ease their fears and then also work with the exiles to relieve them of some of their burden and we can be more self-led. Just the example of like an inner critic, right? So someone who is struggling with confidence and they have like this critic that is constantly telling them they're not good enough. When I first learned about the inner critic, I was taught you need to like tell that part of you to like shut up, like squash that party. That, I mean, that's one way of approaching it, but it's not really like getting into a relationship with that part. And what we often find is when we can unblend so that we we're, we have more space to be in self and then turn and relate to that part of us. And we do this with our parts. We can experience them many different ways. We can experience them through sensations in our body, through emotions, through inner dialogue, which is very different than like just our regular thoughts that are happening through images as well. And it's so different. Like every time I do a session with parts work, sometimes I'm experiencing so much sensation while other days it's much more visual. So it's really, it's really fascinating. But with the inner critic for, as an example, we would unblend with that part. So we don't, because when we're blended with the part, we're seeing the world from a partial self state. We're seeing the experience from a partial self state and we don't have all the information. And so of course we're feeling and thinking and believing what that part feels, thinks and believes. When we're able to to disidentify so that we're not like blended with it and kind of move into more of a space of observation with it, we can then start to relate to it and we can start to try to understand it. And what we often find with an inner critic is it's actually, its intentions are good. It's really trying to help. It's trying to keep you safe so that you're not rejected or criticized or, or whatever it is. And so when we can start to develop that relationship and we build trust with the protector, because with, with IFS specifically, we don't push past any of the parts. We're really honoring of the parts, which, which really I find supports 
our autonomic nervous system as well, because we're not like just pushing into something. We're like really working slowly and subtly. And we always ask for permission from the protector if we can have access to and work with an exile, a younger part. Sometimes that takes a couple sessions. Sometimes that can happen in one session. It, it will always vary depending on what's going on. But if we use the example of like someone with an inner critic and that's struggling with like confidence and we were able to develop enough of a relationship that the protector will give us permission, even just for the session, to kind of turn towards the exile that it's been protecting us from, we then can start to experience and feel a little bit of, of what might be underneath that that protector has been helping us avoid to feel. And maybe it's fear. Maybe there's like grief there. Maybe there's anger. Maybe there's shame. We won't know until we can kind of work with that protector first and then get to connect with the exile. And this is where the self-regulation piece comes in. When we're working with an exile and we're in self, that is supportive of self-regulation. Because we're, we're learning how to be with an inner state in, in a supportive way without trying to change it. That's another thing. There's this concept called change without trying. And that's more of a focusing, in a relationship focusing term. And it's, it's really about creating the environment and the container for change to happen. But often what's happening is we're having an experience where we're having feelings about our feelings. And, and there's like this kind of hierarchy that's created internally where we're, something in us isn't liking something else because of the way it feels. And when we can get into a relationship with all of that and just kind of hold it and understand it, we can soften that. And there's something that happens where a shift just naturally occurs without us trying to change it because when we're trying to change it we're not fully accepting the experience either so so when we do all that then we create space to move back into self where our confidence comes from and we can take that younger part with us but it doesn't have to be the one doing the talking (laughs) okay I have a question about the self yeah is it well, I think you might have answered it. Is it like a neutral blank canvas or is does it have an inherent strength? Yeah. So there's something called the seven or eight C's that they use to de- essentially describe the characteristics of self so that we can know when we're in it. Because sometimes it's like, well, how do I know if I'm in self or not? There's often a curiosity. Self has a curiosity about the other parts that it doesn't feel good or bad about the parts so that there is a neutrality in that sense like if we're i will often ask a person to see if they're in self how they feel about the part we're trying to get into a relationship with if they don't like it that's good information because then they're blended with something else they're blended with another protector that we have to work with first if they really like it that is probably um they're blended with it if they really like it, you know, and so self is clear, confident, curious, calm, centered, I can't remember all the C's off the top of my head. But there's like a, there's a neutrality about the parts, but it has these other kind of characteristics. Well, the thing that I always think about and like talk about on this show is like, 
the part of us that knows that we can, you know, like just that part that's like believes in us. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That would be like self. Absolutely. And in other, like some people might call it the higher self or some people might call it your adult self. This is just one framework that I'm talking about. So it's probably, it could be called so many different things and probably so many different modalities. I love it. So for me, that is the leader. Like for me, that's like the part of you that knows how to lead because you get all your good answers from that part. Yes. And with IFS, they talk about self-leadership. So you're learning how to lead all your internal parts. (laughs) Yeah. It makes so much sense because like think like curiosity and calm and I'm sure some of the other C's too, you get good quality information from those states and from those characteristics. Okay. Do you want to do some scenarios where obviously like we're making big sweeping generalizations, but we can explore what parts could be at play. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few examples. These are things that I think are pretty common for a lot of the women who listen. Um, so really common experience is like, okay, I feel okay, I feel confident I enter into a room with a specific person or I enter into a specific meeting. And all of a sudden, I feel like so small and I don't feel like myself. When this person enters and they feel small, this could be like a younger part of them. And we can often like even lean into being curious about how old does this part of me feel right now? And so it sounds like if in that instance, they became blended with another part of themselves, something activated them and they became blended. It could also be a protector that keeps them small to protect them so that they don't have to feel something else as well. And so this is where we have to get a little bit curious and kind of, if we're in that experience, what is so helpful is acknowledging it and naming it. And we can do this internally. We don't have to say it out loud, but we can just say inside our heads, like, oh, I'm noticing a part of me is feeling small instead of I feel small. Because when we say I'm noticing a part of me is feeling small, it helps us unblend a little bit. It helps us kind of see that as just one part. And that in and of itself can create a bit of distance and a pause for us to recognize, oh, there's something here right now. It's not all of who I am. And, you know, in that experience, we might after we acknowledge it, we might shelf it and let it know we'll come back to it. Or we might need to like <laughs> take a break and go back to our office and <laughs> spend a little bit of time with our experience or whatever's possible. But yeah, it could be either like a younger exiled part that is showing up, or it could be a protector in that case that is a defense strategy to kind of blend in maybe and, and hide. So fascinating. I think the thing about like naming it as a part in you versus just totally identifying with it is also empowering because if we're trying to change, then we have to find space for our own agency and our own ability to act differently, even if that happens in like small increments. And I feel like sometimes when we totally identify with the really hard thing or that really hard, you know, part, it becomes really hard then to see that you have options 
for maybe moving through this differently and maybe changing this over time. Yeah, totally. Because when we're blended with with something like that, like we, not always, but we can can be feeling like activation in our nervous system as well and getting a little bit dysregulated. And so um, we don't have as much space w- when that's happening. And so in those moments, when we acknowledge it, we can then just remember that even in acknowledging it, we're accessing part of self. We're accessing part of self. And then how can we soothe that part? Whether it's like we put a hand on our chest and we just let it know, hey, I'm here. You don't have to attend this meeting with me if you don't want to, or you don't have to speak. I'm in charge here. Or whatever feels supportive, whatever that part might need. Do you want to do another one? Sure. How about struggling to assert boundaries, which is a really, a really big one also. Yeah. So if someone is struggling to assert boundaries, again, that would be a part of them. And so we can start with, again, acknowledging because self has the ability to assert boundaries. And sometimes we're so used to just being blended with other parts of us that we can also develop an identity around them and think that that's who I am. But when we start to identify that, maybe that's not a good word to use identify in there, it might confuse people. But when we start to see that as a part of you, instead of all of you, right there, you get access to self again, the part of you that can assert boundaries. But sometimes it takes a little bit of time to develop trust with the part of you that might be feeling afraid. And again, like this could be a protector or an exile. It's like you, I never know until I'm in a session with someone and we kind of explore it because it could be, it could be a defense of like, I'm not going to set boundaries because that protects me from experiencing like a rupture with someone or anger from someone. But then what is the exile below the part of you that won't, the protector that won't set the boundaries? Probably something younger as well. And by younger, this can even be, um, this can be adult, but still younger than you are now. It can be teenager, it can be child, infant. And we don't always have to know also, like sometimes with the parts we can explore what might have happened in the past that led to the part not wanting to set a boundary and kind of see what it might bring forward there as well. But we, we don't always have to know either because we can work with it in the present moment with what it's experiencing and see how we might, because there's always a need there. There's some sort of need there. And so when we can understand what the need is and learn how to meet that those parts can start to feel more secure and trusting of self to take over. Oh, this is so interesting and like so potent because there, you know, there are so many times I think in someone's professional life where self needs to come in and help move things forward, you know, help the person show up for the thing, do the thing, you know, even when there is like, that part that doesn't want to. And I think that can feel can feel very scary, I think, especially when if it's something new, you know, and if it's something that someone is learning to do for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I, I always want to say too, like it's so normal to be blended with different parts. That's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. It's just if we want to work with something specific that you're struggling with, then we can like pull it apart and, and see what parts are there and unblend and, and get into a different relationship with them. Yeah. And I think that brings up something really important too that I'm constantly trying to bring myself back to, which is like, can we look at our struggles and like notice the places where we're having a hard time and, and not, not judge ourselves so harshly, you know, like go into our own crap, but without, out saying that we're wrong because maybe we're doing something like maladaptive or maybe we're feeling stuck. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I think that's so important. And I can bring parts into this again. Do it. (laughs) Sometimes this is just the way my brain works now. (laughs) But like when we are judging it, we're often blended with a critical part of us. (laughs) There we go. Maybe the self. Yeah. The self probably doesn't judge. I mean, no, you can't hold curiosity and judgment. They don't. They're not the same. They oppose each other. I feel like it's a little bit like the matrix of like our own inner matrix. Yeah, I've had a client, what did he call it? It's like alien talk. Because <laughs> once we get in there, it's like sometimes it's pieces of the subconscious that are coming up and it can be really strange what comes through. Like I had a client, one of her parts was like Sonic the Hedgehog. Like that's what she saw. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like this go-getter, like push, force, hustle. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Even having that character or name of it, though, I would imagine is probably really helpful. Yeah, yeah, because it's easier to then see when that part is present. And it's easier to kind of move back into self and then see what that part, how you can get into relationship and what that part might need. Because often we're either in like there's no relationship or there's kind of an unhealthy relationship where we're like rejecting or avoiding these parts of ourselves and what we're doing is really just developing like right relationship how can we be in right relationship with all parts of ourselves yeah well that also like reminds me of just like the journey of building confidence and I think sometimes there's a fantasy of like well I'm going to build confidence and I'm never going to feel bad again nothing's ever going to be hard again and it's like no 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 that is not the point (laughs) the point is to learn how to be okay when that happens. So you're not so afraid of it happening. That's huge. And yeah, I'm just thinking of the coaching industry and how there can be such this, this push towards um, positivity and high vibes. And that can end up with people just suppressing more and more and doesn't help because what happens is when we when we exile parts of ourselves they end up in our shadow and and what is often known like exiles are what is often referred to as the shadow and so they're they're in our more of our subconscious but they're still impacting us and they're still they still have influence over us but just we're less aware of it yes Versus if we actually just engage and get into relationship with these parts of ourselves. Totally. But I think it's tantalizing to want the promise of like, oh, never feel bad again, right? And to Mm -hmm. like, to think that that's what you're moving towards. But it's like, no, learning how to feel bad and not being so afraid of an uncertain outcome or an outcome that could be emotionally difficult. It just 
it gives you so much freedom to move through the world in a way where you're not constraining yourself because you're just trying to avoid anything going wrong. Yeah, it does. It gives you so much more freedom because there's this piece around being able to just self-express because you're not constantly like having these parts of you that are on guard and fearing you're, you can be more of who you are yes when you have that capacity to feel this comfort yeah but so often we've developed all these protectors to like help us belong to what the the community we're a part of deems as acceptable <laughs> so we we end up self-abandoning we end up yeah, suppressing parts of ourselves. This is such a fascinating angle to like think of so many of the topics that I think about from this angle of parts work and like seeing how it collides with the parts framework is so fascinating to me. And yeah, I think there's that freedom that you're talking about is like, it's a space where you feel good, you get to do some of your best thinking you know, a lot, I think for a lot of people, like the moments they're most proud of happen when they can access that, but it does require the openness to like, I'm, I'm, I'm riding the roller coaster and it's going to feel good. And sometimes it's not going to feel good. And that's the ride that I'm getting on. And I know that. Yeah. And I've found, you know, the times where I'm really in a contraction and like things aren't feeling good. There's actually a part of me that isn't accepting the state or the experience. There's actually a part of me that like is trying to suppress that. And it actually makes it worse than if I just am able to allow and accept that experience to be there too. Yeah. Fighting against (laughs) the adverse circumstance or the thing that's hard is sometimes it just, it makes you feel more stuck in it. It does. It's like it creates more activation <laughs> on on top of the activation of the experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important too, like from a leadership perspective, because the more responsibility you have, the more you have to pull people out of a hard thing. So it's like you have to be able to get out of the perspective of the thing that's really hard so that you can get everyone else out of it. And like the more you know, the more you lead, the more you have the responsibilities on you to do that. And so it's like, just learning to like, see the hard thing and see how you're relating to it. And like what that's doing for you. At least like the way that I think about it is like, when we are leading, and when we are in our, our best, like at our best, we really do know how to navigate things, we can find good quality answers. And when things are hard, we can find a perspective that helps us, whether it's like stuff is hard with us or just stuff is just hard around us. And I think learning that is like how you become a better leader and you help other people who can't do that yet. So it's like, and like, I don't know if this is speaking to co-regulation or not, but if someone's having troubles and you have more of that perspective, you can offer so much to that person in terms of helping them navigate through. So I think it's just so important and it's so applicable to like this nine to five world, even though it's maybe a little bit different than that. Yeah, no. And that is speaking to co-regulation. Like our nervous systems communicate to each other. And I think it was, yeah, one of my teachers, she shared that one regulated nervous system 
can support a thousand other nervous systems. I don't know where she got that number from, but I was just like, wow. <laughs> but we see that in the world right now too. Like the dysregulation, it like spreads. Yes. <laughs> and so when you're in a leadership position, I, I feel like, yeah, it's so important to be able to regulate yourself because you are co-regulating with everyone else. Oh my gosh. And I didn't even think about it in that one-to-many way. But yes, that makes so much sense because I'm always also saying like the leader's perspectives and actions and interstate creates the culture on the team. So like what's happening on the team is a reflection of their inner world a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Oh my gosh. Okay, so interesting. Before we pivot, let's learn where we can get in touch with you. And if you have anything exciting that you want to talk about coming up, share the details with us. Yeah. Um, my website is rochelleludwig.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Rochelle, I believe it's underscore Ludwig. I should probably double check that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put in the show notes either way. Yeah. Um, also on Facebook, I believe it's Rochelle Ludwig or Re- it might be food freedom, Rochelle Ludwig food freedom coach on Facebook, but I'll give you the links to it. So <laughs> yeah, right. And right now I am working on a six month program that's called return. And it really is about this, this process and this practice of coming back home to ourselves with all the ways that we have been conditioned and learned and adapted to self-abandon. So it's navigating that. I don't have a date yet, but that is something that is in the works. And now we get to do the closing questions, which I'm really excited about. So for the closing questions, first is on the title of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. And I love to ask every guest what The Art of Speaking Up means to them. Yeah, first of all, I love the title of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. And I think it speaks to me because... I have always been someone who didn't speak up and who was very quiet. And so to me, it it speaks to like the process and the journey of cultivating that voice and your own authentic voice and learning how to share that and everything that goes into that. So (laughs) I love it. I love it too. And the final question was inspired by what inspired the show, which was this period in my career where I was struggling and I didn't have any mentors and I just felt very alone and not confident at all. And I love to give this space to the guests to speak to anyone who is either in that place, kind of having a tough time or just trying to like grow their confidence and feel a little bit more empowered. Yeah. And I feel like it ties into what I what I shared. So growing up um, in school, I was always told you're too shy, you're too quiet. We want you to speak more like at parent teacher interviews. And then, like all my bosses (laughs) said the same thing. Like, that was the the only complaint always like you're too quiet, we want to hear you more speak more. And so I really learned that quietness was a bad thing. And I had to go through this process of reclaiming what quiet meant to me. And there were layers, of course, of working with like the wounding and the conditioning around being good and hiding in the background and all of that. But I also at my essence, I, I have a more grounded, calm, kind of quiet energy about me. And so 
I had to go through a process of reclaiming that. And a couple of years ago, I was, I was, I was going through that experience. Um, I was in a community where, you know, in the coaching industry, there's a lot of, um, in the way of like marketing and putting yourself out there has to be loud and all these things. And it just didn't feel like me. And, um, I started to settle into this process of reclaiming quiet and just allowing myself to take up space in a way that felt like me. And I wrote a poem two years ago and I thought I would share it for those that I'm it so might excited. resonate with. <laughs> yes, please. All right. This is for the quiet ones, the highly sensitive ones, the introverts, the empaths, the shy ones. In a world full of extremes of black and white, the gray is where your magic alchemizes. In a world full of people shouting for attention, likes, and followers, the whisper of your truth speaks louder. In a world full of self-manufactured authority, your integrity is invaluable. Your patience in cultivating wisdom and your unique medicine is valuable. In a world full of smoke and mirrors, settling in for the long run will reap more. In a world full of flashy and loud, your depth is anything but boring. In a world full of premature wisdom, trust your process and your timeline. This is for the quiet ones. I see you. I am you. You don't need to mold yourself to fit society's ideas of success or value. Step off the freeway of hustle that is not meant for you. It depletes you. Step onto the overgrown path of your soul's essence and expansion. It will feed you. And when you're fed, your soul's medicine will heal. If anything, take this as permission to let go of what's not aligned, to understand there's nothing wrong with you if the ways of the masses aren't working for you. There's another way for you. You can already feel that. Trust it. No one knows better than you, not even the self-proclaimed experts. You are the expert of your own heart, body, and soul. I loved that so much, and your writing is so profound. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was something that just felt so alive for me back then, and it still speaks to me. I'm like, yeah, that still feels fairly accurate, and so I think there's so much noise out there about how we should show up and that leads to us performing when it's really us being our most authentic selves that creates connection and trust and in an in an authentic way yeah oh my gosh thank you so much Rochelle yeah thank you so much for having me it was so good to have this conversation with you Thank you so much for tuning in to this interview. I love Rochelle's energy. It's so calming and so grounding. And I loved listening to this conversation and I hope you enjoyed it too. I'm going to put all of Rochelle's information in the show notes. So I will drop her website, her Instagram. You can get in touch with her down there. And thank you so much for being here. And thank you for listening. I hope that you're doing well. If you want to reach out to me and connect with me, 
I will drop my information below. You can find some of my free resources. So I have a free three-part video course called Speak Like a CEO. I also have a free ebook on assertiveness, which is called The Smart Ambitious Woman's Guide to Assertiveness in the Workplace. You can grab both of those in the show notes. And if you are ready to get support and are interested in working with me one-on-one, you can also check out my website, which I will link below. And I think that covers everything. I hope you can take some nuggets away from this conversation. It was so good. It was so helpful. It was so applicable. I just feel like no matter what your situation is or what you're experiencing in your professional life, the tools that Rochelle talked about, her perspectives, I think they are invaluable. And I think we need more leaders with regulated nervous systems and more leaders who have that self-awareness and that ability to slow down. And I think of every single you know person who listens to this podcast, I think of you as someone who's going to have lots of leadership responsibilities as your career evolves and hopefully down the line, you'll be a very high level leader. And I think these tools will serve you so, so much on your journey. So a big thanks to Rochelle. I'm going to sign off. I will catch you next week and have a wonderful, wonderful week. Bye-bye.